This is the Embark Pod, a series by Embark Group, bringing together industry leaders and commentators to discuss and debate the future of the industry. Now, today, very pleased to say we've got Simon Hayter, who oversees the National Intermediated Advise Team at Embark Group, and also Andrew Phipps, uh, Senior Propositions Manager at Embark Group, who are joining us to talk about, well, a very important subject, both in practical terms, I guess, and in the spirit in which uh, we all do business. Updates to consumer duty. The FCA has put out new regulations, some which uh, come in next year, so we need to know what they mean and the effect they will have. So, well, let's kick straight off then. Simon, let me let me first of all ask you, I guess, for um, the, the, the key takeaways in the sense of the deadlines, I suppose. When When is all this kicking in? And in broad terms, what is it? Okay, um, that's a very important question, actually, because you're absolutely right. The um, the ultimate deadline um, has been progressed out to the 31st of July 2023, when this need when the consumer duty rules come into effect for live products and services, and there's a further year after that for closed book. However, and very importantly, there are a number of things that businesses need to do, um, and it's the 2nd of September today, so literally by the end of next month, we have two months from today, firms, boards need to have agreed their implementation plans for consumer duty and be prepared to share these. So what it is, in, in essence, is a, a new um, consumer principle, principle 12, um, which is a higher level than principle 6 and principle 7. And it requires firms to act to deliver good outcomes for retail customers. I think in, in, in essence, if you look at each customer in turn and said, am I comfortable that we're doing the right thing for that customer in terms of fair value and in terms of ongoing service, then you won't be going far wrong. But I suppose the, the question, Simon, on that, uh, to, to certainly an outsider, but, but also generally, is hasn't that always been the case that, that you have been trying as a fairly basic principle of what you guys do to deliver good outcomes. Absolutely. And I think, you know, inherently, that's what firms have always tried to do. They do a very good job, IFAs, going out, advising clients, um, effective tax planning, effective retirement planning, effective inheritance tax planning, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But the difficulty sometimes is evidencing those things. And and the FCA have tried to evolve um, over the last uh, 20 years or so. Um, And um, this is quite a paradigm shift from the FCA. Um, And the reason for that is it's becoming a more assertive regulator that is led by data. They they would say it's the biggest overhaul of financial regulation since RDR um, nine years ago. And the arrowhead of a regulatory culture shift towards outcomes-focused and proactive regulation where unwanted behaviours could be spotted and dealt with as they happen. And that's probably the key thing, rather than seeing them with a rear view lens. So by understanding that overarching vision, the need for advisors to measure the many aspects of the services they provide becomes clear. And that's the key thing. There's going to be quite a lot of evidence needed here. Okay, well, let me bring you in on on this and just ask you about the the four outcomes, because I think people like to know that there are certain concrete things to look at. The four outcomes that are listed, products and services, price and value, consumer understanding and consumer support. But again, what does that mean? Yeah, Roger, uh, so do you mind if I, before I go on to them, can really? I just sort of add to um, uh, what Simon said, really? I think, uh, I mean, one of the main takeaways here is that, um, you know, the consumer duty is is a big deal. You know, it will impact all regulated manufacturers and distributors of products and services that obviously includes ourselves, but also the advisor firms and intermediaries that you know we that 
redistributes our products through. I just really would want to get the point over, you know, many firms may feel that they already have policies and procedures in place that will be aligned with the duty. And and that may very well turn out to be the case. But I don't think now is the time for sort of complacency and assuming that all is okay as as the duty is far reaching. It does require a higher standard on firms and 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 all firms must be proactive in scrutinizing their practices uh, for compliance um, uh, with the duty. So I just really sort of wanted to hammer that yeah. point home. And, you know, I mean, Simon said on that, obviously, a lot of it's data driven. So there are kind of concrete benchmarks, I guess, which is what brings me back to that question I was asking about the about the outcomes, because that is that's the clear measure, I guess. Yeah. So uh, there are there are four outcomes and they are sort of overarched by um uh, three cross-cutting principles as well, which, which we'll come on to. But uh, you listed the outcomes there, so just sort of take them in a little bit, really. So, I mean, the first one, product and service out- outcome, this is this is really about understanding uh, the customers in the part of the market that you are targeting. Um, it's inherent on manufacturers and distributors to understand what their needs are, um, what they want from their product and their service, um, and what their expectations are from from those products and services, and of course, the ability for those providers to to deliver it. Uh, to deliver it. I think this this level of understanding is is fundamental to design and distribution of the products, uh, which just must be done to meet the objectives of customers. Um, and it's inherent on manufacturers and distributors to make sure that you know the products which they design, the products which they recommend, um, do meet those uh, those customer objectives. Well, Simon, let me put it back to you in the sense of how far down the line is a company like Embark already on this? Because uh, we know there are these deadlines coming up, but also just in terms of normal practice anyway. It's, it's definitely something that, that's always been part of normal practice, because clearly when you design any proposition, you um, you create it with a target market in mind. And that's very much part of the, uh, the key features um, document. However, um, What's important is you assess back against those assumed and targeted markets to see if in actual fact that um, those people are the people purchasing the product and then it is acting in the way that it's supposed to do so. I guess where this is going further, and I would still say the onus is more on distrib- uh, uh, the providers to to really get that part right. But distributors still need to understand that target market. They need to understand the product uh, and be able to explain it properly. But they also need to be um, assessing whether their end clients are against that target market as well. So maybe maybe an example would, would help from an advisor's perspective. Um, if you looked at clients in retirement, for example, so uh, no longer working, you may have people who are in a fortunate position, they don't need to take an income and they may be looking at wealth preservation. Um, and therefore, um, you know, you'd be looking at it from that lens and but a different client who is taking an income in retirement. Are we regularly reviewing annuities every year? Interest rates are now high. Annuity rates are going to be higher. They've gone up uh, quite a high percentage from where they were two years ago. If you overlay that with mortality drag and versus investment returns, Arguably, from an income only and a security perspective, um, that should be looked at um, each year and dismissed or taken forward. But that puts the client in an informed position to make an informed choice. How do vulnerable customer considerations fit within this? It's very easy to 
um, use our conscious and unconscious biases to consider what we think a vulnerable customer is. But actually, you might have a CEO of a, of a FTSE 100 company going through um, um, a marriage breakdown, for example, and arguably they could be vulnerable. And somebody who's retired um, and running their own drawdown pot um, may be absolutely not vulnerable. But the consideration should be there for each client. Um, if that is the case, um, am I making sure that this is done in a way that's understood? Um, yeah, so it, 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 you mentioned the vulnerable bit there, just to break in, because that's something we've dealt with very much on in this podcast before. But it is yeah. something that is very, in many cases, is hard to 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 ascertain, perhaps. It really, it really is. And actually, the previous podcast on that um, asked five really good questions to understand if a client is vulnerable. Um, I think this is what, another one of those areas that through my career is, uh, has evolved really well. Um, and I think if you can make a conscious um, viewpoint on considering it and then dismissing it rather than assuming somebody isn't vulnerable, then you won't go far wrong. Um, and if they are vulnerable, if for whatever reason you um, you feel um, you've come to that conclusion, then what's important is you adapt your communication or your suitability letter or um, the, the way you pass that information across because the client has to understand what they're buying and has to feel that the, on an ongoing basis they're getting the service they should do. So that's where it would fit in. Well, Andrew, let me think pick up if I may just on a practical issue in, in, in this. I mean, we're talking about the ways things should be. But I suppose in terms of assessment, questionnaires are ways of uh, robust, proven, standardized behavioral questionnaires, I guess, could be a way to maintain that uh, ability to see what the need is and keep up to speed with it. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. And I would expect lots of providers to be, I guess, a little bit more focused on getting feedback from clients and understanding what their needs are, and 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 indeed what the you know the deficiencies are within the products and service which they provide. Um, yeah, you know there is an expectation uh, on one of the other outcomes around sort of customer understanding, uh, where the SCA have actually been quite um, explicit in expecting that customers do conduct some testing uh, with the products and service they have, which will require a level of engagement with. Uh, with the end clients, and and naturally one of the ways that would we'll do that will be through surveying, you know, analysing complaints and all the other sort of normal features which which providers would do. So that, yeah, uh, there is that additional, um, I mean, really robust thing. If they are, if the FCI are pushing that specific element of it, that is new, isn't it? Uh, it is new. Yeah, it's it's not something which been has been prescribed before, and and actually the regs are quite. Well, I find the regs actually quite sort of helpful on this particular point because they do give some nice examples of where providers should consider, you know, do testing their communication and literature. Um, so I think it's it's an area which is going to evolve, and I certainly would see, or, or certainly would expect, a lot of providers to, um, you know, boost their capability in that area. Certainly. So Simon, let me ask you then about the the, the pressures that come from this because all we're talking about is going to make in effect, advisors' jobs harder, almost inevitably, and, and there have to be the tools to deal with that, uh, as well as obviously to make sure all these uh, these standards are adhered to. Uh, absolutely. And um, let, let's not pull any punches here. The FCA expect um, the board to approve a, an appropriate person. Um, it comes under SM&CR as well, uh, and there need to be regular 
evidence minutes of um of this subject being considered um not just having a plan in place at the end of october but then bringing it to life and then maintaining that in the longer term so as always the evidence is the crucial piece and knowing what what it is you're trying to um to record makes will take the pressure away but of course ifas have uh, they're running they're running successful businesses um and um this is another thing they need to very much bring into uh, into their thinking so yes it is an additional additional workload yes but it's absolutely a great outcome for end clients and many firms would actually be doing all the right things already and it's really just a case of of having clean lens on these now and maybe just making sure they're dotting the i's and crossing the t's in the way of evidence yeah and one of those as you say is this new role of consumer duty champion i mean just Simon, what, what do you think that role actually is? I mean, it, it, it's said, but it's not necessarily defined, I guess. Yeah, that's a great question. I think if it were me, if, if if I were in a in that position, I would just understand the consumer duty principle twelve, which is really straightforward, doing the right thing for every client, in essence. And I would go through each of the four outcomes for each client uh, and make sure, looking at it from their lens, that we were adhering to that. Um, and um, and obviously making sure as a business generally the cross-cutting rules which are very straightforward were being adhered to as well so it's not as if there isn't a structure to follow from from this consumer duty uh, principle 12 it's a it's a it's a cultural shift isn't it it's it's making someone responsible at board level in a leadership role to make sure that consumer duty flows throughout an organization and it, and it has to be led from that level down i think um and and it could just well be you know from from that position if you know a change is introduced into a into a business which arguably introduces some detriment to a client then there has to be appropriate challenge as to okay well why are we actually making this change you know the outcome of this is is going to worsen a situation for a client um, and I think that's really where that role sort of sits is is even enough challenge into the organisation to make sure that the decisions that are being made are ultimately in the best interest of the client. Yeah, might not make the consumer duty champion perhaps the most popular person around, I'm guessing, um, in, in the nature of, yeah. you know, the way that human beings work. But I, I you say a key role. Yeah, but you're looking at, you know, you're looking at client retention and all of that kind of stuff. You know, if there's... If you're providing a strong service to the client, you know, which is producing fair value to the client and the client sees the value and can benefit from that product, then ultimately you're going to retain that client and not going to be looking to move elsewhere. So I think, yeah, initially there might be a little bit of um, discomfort maybe in some of the challenges that go through the business, but ultimately in the long run, I think it's for the benefit of everyone. So Simon, if I can bring you, do you want to come in on that? Well, I was literally just going to reaffirm that, you know, principle 12 is literally to act to deliver good outcomes to retail customers. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? So, they, yeah, as long as your intent is to underpin that, then I think it will be a good thing. But, I mean, just taking that particular line about a good outcome, one of the outcomes that they list uh, in this uh, is price and value. Now, that, it strikes me, obviously, in the difficult times that we're all going through at the moment is going to be key, but also pretty contentious and uh, and difficult. You know, who considers what price is right, what value they get from it? I mean, Simon, that is an issue, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, it, but it, for me, it's one of the one of the cruxes of, of it coming down, because what is value? What is good value? It's not cheap. Cheap doesn't necessarily mean um, it's the best. It's but it should be a fair value. And from an advisor point of view, 
that should be taken into account all charges in the um in the advice chain, not just the advisors themselves. The sorts of things that I think are really critical here is how often um, do I review clients against my service agreement? If I've got a service agreement and I'm taking an ongoing fee for that, um, am I absolutely making sure that I fulfill my obligations with that? Um, am I actually highlighting to to clients just what a good job I do for them in terms of maybe money saved in, ta- in good tax planning, um, better nicer process, inheritance tax planning, and um, uh, effective retirement planning, et cetera, et cetera, which they bring a lot of value um, that's not necessarily explicit within the the overall return, but nevertheless is, is very much there. Um, but where it goes further forward, um, beyond where people probably are at the moment, is can can and will you currently assess and evidence the value provided by the products and services you distribute? Are they performing as expected? So that's looking back to the product um, that was maybe sold in the past. Is it still appropriate? Is it st- is it actually doing what it should um, should have done? Yeah, as I said, are the advice charges still providing fair value? Are you know, they may have been appropriate initially? So that's where a review would come in, uh, and um, assessing whether ongoing advisory services continue to deliver value over time. Uh, Andrew, you probably want to come in on um, some of that sort of the bigger picture um, aspects here as well. Yeah, I think there's, you know, value is very subjective, isn't it? And it, and it's everyone has a different view on what is value for them. You know, one client might be quite happy with a level of service. Another client may be very underwhelmed and, and disappointed. So I think it, it is quite a difficult uh, job to assess where, you know, are you providing fair value? But you know, we've all bought cheap products um, and been very underwhelmed or frustrated when they break. Um, so I think we, you know, as, as Simon rightly said, it's not about price. Um, it is about the level of service that's given. It is about how that customer feels about the product they get in. You know, are they realising the benefits at the end of that journey? You know, uh, you know, are they feeling ripped off? You know, are they uncomfortable about paying the fees and and don't feel they're getting value? There's, there's quite a lot um, of scope here around assessing. You know, what 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 customers really find, uh, how they find value within the products and services which they're receiving. Um, but but Simon's absolutely right. You know, it's not just about focusing on price. It's about everything to do with that product. And I suppose the thing that, that hovers again in my mind in all this, we're, we're talking about things that should be done for sure, uh, tightening up, but all these have cost implications for the business they, involved. They uh, do. That, and that, That's and important to think about too. It, it, it is, but I don't think what we're saying here is that, you know, you uh, customers will pay a competitive price and then they'll get a gold service uh, left, right and centre. It's about managing client expectations and them understanding what level of service they should reasonably expect from the product which they're getting. Um, so it, it's about having, it's, I mean, it crosses over into that sort of consumer understanding, you know, making sure they have a an informed decision about the product and service which they are buying into and what they should expect on an ongoing basis once they've actually taken that product out. So there is a cost element of it, and you'd expect that cost element of it to be reflected in the price. Um, and we're not saying that, uh, you know, good value means that you get, you know, the the diamond service um, at a cheap price. That's, it's about managing client expectations and delivering against those expectations. So a lot of what's coming out of this, Simon, is to do with uh, expectations, but conversations as well in being keeping the customer informed all the time. I and mean, it seems to me that's that is at the core of what's being asked here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, for me, I think it's just a case of. 
becoming more conscious as we see our clients upon the annual or more frequent review and just looking across those four lenses, which we were probably unconsciously doing anyway, and looking at it and saying, have I got the evidence that this is correct? Um, And am I explaining it and making sure the client fully understands what, even if it's in their interests, do they fully understand what they're buying and where they're at with that that point of view? And just doing that on an ongoing basis. And if you do that, you won't go far wrong. And I don't think then it creates too much more onus in terms of um, paperwork or, or collating information or whatever. It's just good practice. You know, and maybe questionnaires are part of that, as you suggested earlier. Um, you know, for example, uh, seeing a client on review in retirement, um, always ask death benefit question, always ask it every year, have situations change because that would come into play. Um, so just thinking about the current situation and reassessing at that point in time, rather than sticking back to how you were before and assuming it's still the same as it was three, five years ago. So, I mean, Andrew, essentially we'll also it's proactive. It isn't if the customer's happy, you can't just walk away and say, fine. You actually have to proactively look and see if what they're getting is what they should be getting. Yes, agreed. Yep. Um, uh, and, and just sort of flipping that, you know, we were sort of talked earlier around assessing against the target market and all the rest of it. Um, there's also assessing around, you know, whether or not clients get value from it, whether or not they understand the products, et cetera, et cetera. And I think... You know, there is an onus on providers and distributors of financial products and services that they are proactive in terms of where they see um, a deficiency or an outcome which is um, you know, detrimental to a client. It's not just about recording it on a spreadsheet and reporting it up the line. It, there's an expectation that they actively look to deliver you know, an enhancement or an improvement so that they can correct that that deficiency. Um, not just for that single customer, but for, you know their proposition in general and their and their you know their, their customer base. So, yeah, yeah, there is an expectation of being proactive here um, and evidencing that they've been proactive and they've they've closed any uh, any gaps within the proposition. Simon, do you think the industry broadly welcomes this? I mean, obviously, in a sense, they don't have a choice. But do you think there is a welcome feeling for this, or or is it just more paperwork, more? Uh, measures that they have to come up to that is going to cost them and, and, and cost them time as well? I think it's always difficult with regulation because, of course, that latter aspect, um, it wouldn't be human if you didn't have that view uh, to a degree because it is more work and um, it, it does make you stop and look and assess. Uh, but that's not a bad thing, is it? You know, Pausing to see where we are as a business and moving forwards um, is a good thing. Generally speaking, um, my view is of advisors that they absolutely do all of these things. And so absolutely it's welcome within the, in the industry. The, the key bit is just getting that evidence right as well. I just think right. it's worth – yeah, crack on, Andrew. So I was just, just going to chip in. I think the good ones will welcome it and the bad ones will will not. That's uh, probably a little bit controversial, but that's my view. I mean, uh, we need a level playing field here, don't we? We need good practice across the industry. I mean, I work specifically in SIPs and there's been some quite poor coverage because of, you know, poor practices from a decade or so ago. You know, there is, um, you know, we, we do want a working market here, which is delivering good outcomes for customers. And, and so I think broadly, it will be welcomed, but there's always going to be those fringe providers that you know aren't going to welcome it and are going to uh, struggle perhaps to um, to make their business model work. 
Yeah, and, and you're, you're saying I'm thinking that it's necessary, uh, even if it isn't necessarily all, all well, welcomed around. It's a good thing. It is something that that should be welcomed because it is necessary. Yes. Yeah, I agree. As I say, you want a well-functioning market where customers are getting good outcomes from the products and services they provide, and I think this is a a you know, significant step towards that objective. So and Andrew makes yeah, absolutely, and Andrew makes a cracking point. Um, you know, when whenever there is um, negative noise about our industry, and inevitably it's in the pinks, when you read through the comments, the thing that's always there, and totally understandably are from the many, many good advisors who see their F FSCS levies go up year after year after year. You know, they have a view that they're bailing out the poor advisors who have um, who have often run and, um, and taken the money. So um, anything that allows bad practice to be identified in the moment, rather than with that rearview mirror I mentioned earlier, has to be a good thing. I think it's probably just worth, because we haven't explicitly stated the... Um, the cross-cutting rules either. Um, these, are these cut across all, all of the principles. And basically, if you fail on any one of these, then you fail the consumer duty. So um, that's sort of how they fit in. Uh, and they're straightforward enough, but it's to act in good faith towards retail customers. So there's the key phrase. Are you acting in good faith? If you are, you, you, you know, you're well on the uh, correct path, aren't you? Avoid foreseeable harm to retail customers and to enable and support retail customers to pursue their financial objectives. I don't think anybody would disagree that that's the three things that we're trying to do in our industry. And three things that should be very much, as you say, at the forefront of minds of advisors anyway. So on that note of welcome, I suppose, to, to all this, although some caution perhaps about some of how some of it may be received and implemented, I think that's where we should bring this podcast to an end. My thanks uh, to Simon Hayter, overseeing the National Intermediated Advice Team at Embar Group, and also Andrew Phipps, who is the Senior Propositions Manager. Thanks both for a very clear and, uh, well, very comprehensive explanation of where this is all going to be and how much everybody needs to be ready for it. That's it from this episode of the Embark Pod. Thanks for a fascinating discussion. I'll be back with more episodes. I'm Roger Hearing for now. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.